0: Hey, good morning, Hill City Church. So glad that you're here. Glad you're carving out time to gather together around God's word. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? Man, I am excited uh, for for you guys to be here. I'm excited, man, just to continue our our reading of the the book and the letter uh, of Ephesians. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, would you go ahead and open them up? Uh, maybe the yours is the digital kind. Go ahead and power it on. Man, one of the things I just encourage you to do, man, is just come, uh, come with your Bible. Man, we're, we, again, you hear us talk about it almost every week, our Bible reading plan. Man, we want to be people who are good with our Bibles. We're serious about the Word. Uh, we know that the Word of God uh, does the heavy lifting in our lives. This is a phrase uh, I want us to grab hold of. The Word of God does the heavy lifting. Uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament that it's not by might. It's not by our strength. Uh, It's not by power, uh, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the Word and the Spirit, um, they are enough. And so that's what we're endeavoring to do as we read through um, this letter to a church uh, in Ephesus. Uh, What is modern-day Turkey? Paul writes uh, to a church that he helped plant, helped start, uh, and he's addressing some things that are happening. He's wanting them to live their lives well. And and so what we're simply doing is talking about this from a sense of belief uh, and beyond uh, and also the mystery of it all. What is God saying to his people and then also to us? You ready for God's word today? Yes. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. We are jumping right back in at chapter uh, 15. Uh, not 15, but, but verse 15, excuse me. Chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Paul says this. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all of the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that for God, for, for God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working Of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. bow our heads and our hearts for prayer father we love you and god we thank you for your word we thank you for the word that the spirit of god breathed into existence we thank you god that that same spirit communes with us even now and now we ask that the spirit that gives inspiration would be the same spirit that gives illumination do what only you can do not what we can do in our own strength not what we can do in our own intellect but god would you meet us beyond those things would you meet us spirit into unto spirit deep unto deep so that when we leave here today we could say one to another i've heard from the lord and i'll never be the same we we want that we desire that and god we give you all the praise and all the glory for now and forever In the strong name of jesus we pray amen and amen paul uh, again writing uh, to a church a uh, gathering a group of believers and what he wants to do at the very beginning, he, he starts off, and as he's sort of continuing, what we're reading here is really Paul kind of in, in a, the beginning of his introduction, he's praying for these people. I, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the people in my life that were praying for me even when I wasn't aware of it. I'm grateful that I, I have a, a heritage and a, a lineage both, both in my family, but then also just in people uh, in, in the, the churches that I grew up in, man, that they, were, they would pray for me, that they would be mindful of what God was doing and what God was saying that maybe they would pause in the middle of the day. And this is what we see sort of Paul doing. He introduces things and he sets the table, but then he, he says, I want you to remember I've, I'm i thinking of you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And he walks them through. And there's a couple of things before we dive into maybe the, the crux of the message. There's a couple of things I want us to take notice of. And the first one is this. At the very beginning, you see this sort of tension played out in the letter between prayer and praise. There is this sense where Paul is prayerful, and he's also giving, uh, and, and it, it sort of demonstrates an attitude of, of praise. Many of us, if we're not careful, we think that those things are an either-or situation. I'm either a praying person, or I'm a praising person. Many of us would say, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to pray. I, I like to just offer God maybe the supplication. I like to give God maybe a sense of, of gratitude. But, but the praise is maybe something that is Because it's maybe attached to music most often in our minds, we we just go, ah, I'm not so sure. I don't know if you've heard me sing. It's not a joyful noise unto anyone. The problem with that is if we're not careful and we sort of slide into one of those sort of avenues. Now, Now, the caveat to that is both those things are great. I mean, prayer, amazing. Praise, really good. But if we're not careful, we, we default into one and we don't explore the other. And in that, we lose a sense of equilibrium. We lose a sense of balance. We lose a sense of sort of having our, our feet planted. We should and need to be people of prayer. There, there needs to be a thing where we're bringing our, our needs and our requests to God. But, but here's the problem that sets in if we're not careful. We're asking God to do things in our life to which God has already provided an answer for. Many of us, we get into these seasons where we're praying and we're asking God to move and to do things and show up in a new way. But I want us to be reminded of language that Paul has already used in this letter and uses it in other places. He says that we have all things, spiritual blessings have been given to us, So what ends up happening if we're not careful, we lock into this pattern of prayer and we forget the fact that God has given us so much already. We end up just sort of bombarding heaven with these requests without living a life that is counterbalanced with praise, which really is gratitude. I love that when we, we sing our times of sort of worship, when we think about it in terms of around music, I love the language that we sing. There is a sense where we're exalting God. man. I mean, we're thanking God for what he's done already. We're thanking God for what he's going to do. We're celebrating it. We're quiet. There's moments when we're exuberant. Like all of those emotions can be, can be present, but what praise does is it gets us to a place of having gratitude. So just think for a moment. If you were to sort of audit that sort of spiritual dynamic in your own life between prayer and praise, between your making requests of God and your thanking God for what he has done, do you find yourself at a place of equilibrium or are you out of balance? If we're honest with ourselves, we don't have the gratitude towards the Lord that we should. Our life of praise is probably dwarfed in comparison to the time in which we are bombarding heaven with requests. Now listen, I'm not trying to get you to pray less. I'm actually trying to get you to praise more. I'm not saying that we can't unload our heart before the throne of grace. This is exactly what the Lord tells us to do. But I just want to make sure, and this is what Paul sort of is walking them through in some places. I, I want you to live and I want you to see this attitude of, of praise that takes place. I also want you to be careful to notice that as Paul's writing this, you saw it in the first part that we talked about last week. You see it here. You'll see it sort of throughout Paul's, Paul's writings. And, and here's the tension I, I want us to see. That the Trinity is a doctrine in which the Scriptures may not speak explicitly to Because it is understood by the writers of the Bible as if it was one of those topics that didn't even need to be addressed. That it was just a, man, it's how it is. And I want you to see how it's just played out here. This is just a quick sort of stop I want us to to, to make. That That the Father has approached us in blessing through the Son and by the Spirit. That sort of rhythm that you see over and over, that it is from the Father, by way of the Son... Through the Spirit, this sort of language that is wrapping Paul's writing, wrapping other writings in the New Testament, whenever you see it, I want you to go, oh, there is a sort of Trinitarian sort of statement. This is a doctrinal statement that's actually being made where we can see the activity of God as three in one on display, but it's done in a very sort of, not casual, but a very um, comfortable way a very nonchalant, a very, not a way that actually needed a lot more uh, expression. I just wanted you to sort of take notice of that. As you keep reading, there is this tension where, where, where Paul says to them, listen, I want you to grow in these things. And, and the, the, the tenor of the, the language that Paul's using here, when he says to them, I need you to grow, what re- was required for growth is to, like, grow. <laughs> Meaning this, Paul says, listen, I want you to grow in knowledge, of the Lord. And, and in order to do that, you actually have to put the work in to study. You have to put the work in to be postured b- before the Lord. And, and the word for us in, in this is, is a strong one. Many of us, we have a desire to grow deeper into the things of God. And yet our desire to grow deeper into the things of God is not met with the discipline in our life that would actually take us to get deeper into the things of God. And so listen to me. We've all done it. We've all been there. Let's not try to pretend like we haven't. We've all missed days on the Bible reading plan so far this year. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise God. You've more awakened that moment than you've been all day. Okay, <laughs> You felt that deep in your soul. Now Listen to me. If you're not careful, here's what happens. You begin to back up because of your own humanity and your faults. You back away from the Lord because you go, I just don't have, I don't got it in me, Lord. And so listen to me, if you ever are serving God, loving God, in relationship with God, because of your faithfulness, you've already started off on the wrong foot. It is not because of our faithfulness. It's not because of our goodness. It's not because of anything that we possess. But it is because of who God is, the greatness of who God is. So listen, of course you're going to miss a day. Of course we're going to step out of bounds. Of course we're going to get sideways with some of the word choices that we have with one another, whether it's at work or whether it's in our house. Sometimes we just, you know, are human. But none of that should keep getting us from like walking back from the word. Rather, listen to me, if we can get this, this will transform the way in which we live and move with one another. The moments when you feel not worthy... Do you know what your response should be? It's not run and hide. Press in. I love it. Press in. You can go all the way back to the garden and you see this is the, this is the first fault of what sin does and what shame does when it creeps in. Think about it. Think of the question that's, at, that, that's asked. God says, where are you? That's a whole other sermon series for us to preach one time. It's just the questions that are asked in the garden. He says, where are you? Oh, we're over here. We're, we're, we've hidden because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? You understand there's two different types of naked. Naked and naked. Some of y'all know the difference. If not, we'll talk later. He says, she says, in other words, we're, we're exposed. Sin has crept in, and the first response was what? Fault enters into the scenario, and the first response is what? i got to hide. i got to hide. Parents, you see your kids do this, don't you? You see it on their face. You know, you know, hey, you know, you know kind of. You, you and I do it. We've just gotten more skilled at it, especially in our work environments, in our relational environments. We use terms like this in culture now, gaslighting. Gaslighting is actually fueled by shame because you got caught. And then what, we're, what we've tried to do, how cunning we are, how cunning we've gotten in our, in our sinful natures. We want to do things like this. Now, I want to take maybe the thing that I've done wrong and I want to make you think that you're crazy. Like, that's not the way that it happened. And then you revise history that, other, that, both, of, that both parties have lived in. You have family members that do that for you? They rewrite history that you lived. All of it is the same pattern. It's not leaning in, it's actually moving away. In order for you and I to grow and progress in our relationship with God, in our maturity, and our becoming more like Christ, is when, when we feel that moment of where our humanity rises up. Don't succumb to shame, but allow the grace of our great God. Man, to know, hey, I can, I can come. And this is what growth looks like. Growth looks like saying sorry. Your relationships, the best relationships that you have in your life, more often than not, you have a very free-flowing sort of line of not just loving that person and receiving love from that person, but actually also giving sorries and receiving sorries. How many want your spouse to say sorry more? Some of y'all took the bait, and some of y'all should have just kept quiet. (laughs) Make sure y'all are paying attention. That's one you stay clear away from. I receive an appropriate amount of sorries for my wife. I don't need more. I don't want less. Grateful for what I have. (laughs) Matter of fact, I'm going to say sorry more. If there's any lack, I'll make up the difference in the name of Jesus. Would you draw your attention to verse number 18? Verse number 18 is, is one of those verses that if you read past it too quickly, you miss, the, you miss the teeth in it. Let's read it again together. He says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Your heart's enlightened. Basically, what Paul's saying is, I want your souls, I want the lights to be turned on. That you could actually see what's going on, not just at the external level. I want you to see what's happening, God's plan, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, all these things that are, that are at play. And so when I started looking at that word enlightened in the Greek, here's a phrase that came to my mind. Some of you are going to remember this phrase, and that phrase is simply this, more light, more light. We've been talking about this this year, and for me, as I I think about it, and I think about our church, a city on a hill, it's very easy for me to think about more light in terms of God, just enlarge our reach, expand the number of people that are carrying the light of Christ, and let us do that well. So it can be an externally focused sort of thing. It can be an evangelistic sort of thing. But as we're reading this, what Paul's basically saying is, I want more light, not just simply to exude from you, but I actually want it to examine you. I want the light of Christ to be turned on. And I want, I want it to be turned on brighter recently in our kitchen. We, we got some, some sort of new, new light bulbs because ours, um, ours had passed away. And much like you in your house, we're probably, again, no different. Um, sometimes our lights pass away, and we have a long period of mourning before we would bury them into the... To the trash can. And so we were kind of out of wake, if you will. We started looking up, we started noticing that the number of lights that had passed away was certainly sort of competing with the number of lights that were alive and well. And so we got some new lights, we put them in, and we decided we want to go a little bit different wattage. So, we, you know, those sort of things. It's what I do. And so we, we put those in, and we went to a less wattage in each bulb. But because we now have full coverage, and no more deceased bulbs it is brighter there's more light in our house so here's the question for us how how is the more light situation working internal with you do you give god space to search around Or whenever you get to that moment, does shame rise up and does it cause you to retreat? Because it's one thing to talk about leaning in when we make a mistake. It's another thing to talk about leaning in. And this is the deeper part that Paul's inviting us into. Is when we say, God, I want you to, I want to be enlightened. I want you to turn the lights on. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see internally what you see and what you desire to do. More light. I want more light in here. I don't want dim bulbs. I want full coverage. I don't want there to be shadowy areas and dark spots in my soul, in my inclinations, in my motives, in my desire for you, God. I want you to turn the light on, not just so that I can see the iniquity in me, but that I also might see fully what you are trying to do. And there's what Paul's really getting at, because there's a power, underlining theme all the way throughout Ephesians, is this idea that there is a power in the resurrected Christ. And what Paul understands, and what we've got to realize, is we can talk about the resurrection, or we can experience the resurrection. Paul wants them to experience resurrection power, because in experiencing resurrection power, it will completely transform everything in their life. He says, I want your Your heart's to be enlightened so that you might see that, that you might know that, that you might experience those things. Uh, There's three things I want us to kind of walk through today. Here's the crux of the message. You can look at your neighbor and say, all that was introduction. And and the first is this, the beginning of all of these things as we walk through this passage, you see this, Paul says it starts with a call to us. All of us have been called by God. That language has been hijacked for many of us to think that it is only for those that are in the clergy. It's only for those that are in elevated positions of maybe service in, in, in the church. And, and I want to dismantle that. All of us are called according to the purposes and plans in which God has for us. The call takes us back to the beginning of our Christian lives. Many of you, you know, we celebrated baptism last week, and what I love about baptism, what it, what it always reminds me of is that moment where a person makes the decision to move from a, a death orientation to a life orientation. Let's not minimize it and just say it's anything else but that. It is from death to life. They are made alive in Christ. And for many of them, that is the, the beginning. It signals the start of their journey with Jesus, their Christian Life, the, the call of God always takes us back to that place. I remember moments growing up in my, in my adolescence where I just had moments that were marked by the presence of God. My, my life was just marked by the presence of God. And there's moments where the Holy Spirit will take me back to some of those places and I begin to think and I begin to sort of celebrate and remember all that God has done. Friend, listen to me. You and I have to get comfortable with the calling that is on our lives so that we might revisit it from time to time and be refreshed and reminded of what God has called us into and what God has done for us. He has called us into an altogether new life, a new life. But hear me on this. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to freedom. He calls us to peace. He calls us to suffering, and he calls us to the glory of God. Think about this just for a second, the freedom in which God calls us to. Many of you could quote this verse, If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You're free indeed. So listen to me. You and I have been called to a place of freedom. Bondage has been broken off of us in the power of Jesus. So since you and I have been set free, can I admonish you in the same way that Paul does to his churches? That's where you say yes. Yeah, amen. Since God has set you free, Just because the chains and the yoke of the bondage of your past might fit you, it doesn't mean that you should put it back on. He has set us free. So many of you have to acknowledge this. You're more comfortable in bondage than you are in freedom because you've been in bondage for too long. But it doesn't mean that we should not walk in freedom. Come on, don't you guys remember when you started learning how to walk? All right, you've seen a kid or two walk. (laughs) Nobody walks and it doesn't start out real smooth, does it? It's the... (laughs) And then they crash and fall. What if your spiritual journey was likened to that? Those first few steps aren't a sprint. You might get lucky and take off pretty good, but you're still probably going to fall on your face. What would have happened in your life and in mine if the first time we fell down when we were learning to walk was the end of the journey? We would be really big babies. (laughs) I, I think many of us, we've tried out freedom. And because bondage fit better, We didn't grow into the freedom that we were called to. The calling on your life and on my life, it's one for freedom. The calling is also for a sense of unity. Paul talks about this in all of his letters. And I want us to hear this in Ephesians because it's strong over and over. Paul's talking about this. And listen to me. The church has to be a prophetic place. Meaning this, the church has to be a place where we're receiving the word of the Lord and we actually can declare it with word and life into the culture in which we find ourselves in. And I can't be the only one that feels like our our world is losing a sense of unity or we're being called to unify over all of the wrong things. And listen to me, we're not going to be a church that is just going to start picking out things from culture and shooting targets at it. We're going to point to the word of God. And we're going to say, listen, God has called us to unify our lives around Christ. And if it is against that, if it is anti-Christ, then we're not about it. Even if that means you and I might be called intolerant. I'm watching a church, capital C shrink back in this cultural moment because we're being bullied by ideologies. We're being bullied by false senses of unity, but we're not providing actually the rallying point for people, which is Christ. Jesus died for all. All of us are sinners. There's a point of unity. All of us have been made alive in Christ. There's a point of unity. Nothing else beyond that is a greater point of unification. It is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So listen to me. Those of you that know me, I am a Cubs fan. Love the Cubs. Any Cardinals fans in here? Okay, you're behind us in the standings. Good luck. (laughs) Not talking about the Pirates. Not talking about the Brewers. Talking about the Cardinals right now. Why? Because we're doing better than them. Listen to me. Anywhere that I go, if I see someone wearing a Cubs sort of gear, I immediately have a bond with them. Immediately. We nod heads. I immediately know certain things about them. They are loyal people. (laughs) They're familiar with suffering. Like, I know these things about them. But listen to me. The greatest thing in my life that I should identify with a person is not a sports team. It's not a career, it's not hobbies, but it is Christ. What has Christ done in us? If we lose sight of our calling, we lose sight of the freedom in which God has provided for us. We lose sight of the unity in which we're called to and what we should be working for. We lose sight of the the fact of our life, there is going to be the peace that comes... In good Christian sort of communities and fellowship like this. Guys, when you come to church on Sunday, listen to me. This should be a place of peace, a place of sanctuary, a place of rest. You you could fight the world six days. Come here and go, man, these are the people of God. Yes. Thanks be unto God. I don't got to fight the battles I was fighting before. Can I get an amen for that? And this is what this is, right? We lay all that other stuff aside. We come in here. We worship God. We gather together. Great. Good sense of peace, unity, harmony that's happening here. But let's not forget of the struggle that still remains on the outside. Many of us are are expecting harmony in places that God never promised it to us. That's good. (laughs) Mike, if you don't get on these keys. (laughs) Ah, Turn this message loose if I had some keys. I'm joking. But do you understand? We're, We're asking and expecting the struggle with the world in which we are always going to be at odds with. We're expecting it somehow to get better. And I just, I just want to rile some of y'all up. Man, get in the fight. Stop running away. Man, Jesus is Lord, Him and no other. And if He's done it in your life, man, open your mouth up and tell somebody. Because it is, it is the testimony in us. That God's desiring to use so your life, you're gonna have peace. You're gonna have peace with God. You're gonna have peace with God's people. The struggle that you have, do not lose sight. Paul says that we wage war against not flesh and blood. It ain't your boss that you got problems with, it ain't so and so on your job. That is low level thinking. And the Bible says we wage wars against principalities, strongholds. You're like, Charlie, I just accepted Jesus. What is a stronghold? (laughs) Like You're like, I just got here. Welcome. (laughs) There's a whole lot going on that you and I don't get to see, but you can feel. You can sense this when you go into cities and you move in different places. There's, There's a certain stronghold. There's a certain temptation. There's a certain sin, if you will, that seems to be prevalent. And can I tell you in the six years that I've, I've lived here, what I've what I've deduced are some of the strongholds in this area. One of them is power. One of them is power. And the other don't matter because it's power. <laughs> it's power. You say, Charlie, I don't have any power. That's fine. People around you are grasping for it. They'll contort truth to get it. And so what we recognize is that there is a peace that comes in God's place. But there are still strongholds. There are things out that we have to wage war against. And and here's the message of, of, of Jesus, and here's the message of Paul, and this one's going to be hard for us. This is where Christian maturity, the Spirit of God, is necessary. You wage war, not against flesh and blood, but listen to me. You and I don't get to fight the enemy with evil means. Ugh. You ever just want to fight somebody in the streets, or is it just me? <laughs> like, sometimes I'm just like, Ooh. let me be honest. I'm not wearing any socks. I haven't been in a fight in a long time, okay? Let's just be honest. My fighting days are over. I'll take you to the golf course, and I'll show you something there. But I'm not trying to throw these hands in the street, but sometimes I want to. Sometimes I want to let somebody know some things. The older I get, I've, I've realized that I just like telling people my opinion. Sometimes and I'm like, "Ah, oh, this is a sign of old age." But we don't get to fight the evil one with evil means. Jesus doesn't roll back the stone and go William Wallace on everybody. Do you want to know that you can serve Jesus for a long time and you can be really close in proximity to Jesus for a long time and still not lose the desire to grab a sword and chop off somebody's ear? Right up until the night in which Jesus is crucified, Peter's been rolling with Jesus for a while, has had some really good moments, seen some things. Man, he is pivotal in the church at that time and the church in in the future of, of the beginning of Acts. And Peter, walking with Jesus, knew jesus's tone he knew his comedic cadence and even at that proximity when push came to shove and what jesus had been telling them was going to happen was about to go down what does peter do (laughs) oh we about to do this he's like (laughs) he's like here we go jesus let's roll you know and it's Jesus is like, what in the world, Peter? It's kind of like when you and I tell, we tell our kids this, we're in the rock, we're driving somewhere in the whole way. Hey, listen, when we get here, we're going to act like we got sense. Everybody's going to act like they got parents and they've been raised well and they get in there and then they lose their ever-loving mind. It's like, didn't we talk about this? Jesus is like, didn't we talk about this? So listen to me, fight for unity. Understand that you're going to struggle against the powers of darkness that are coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But we don't get to default to the evil means to do them. Y'all okay if we go over time a little bit? Because that was just the first point. I got two more. Here's the second one. Good Lord, help me. The second thing that we're supposed to think about, not only do we think about our calling, but I want us to think about the inheritance that is to come. Many of us get too comfortable in just wanting to be cultural Christians. Can I remind you that you, the Bible says that you are an alien and a stranger. You're a peculiar people. Some of us more peculiar than others. You're a royal priesthood. This world is not your home, friends. You are not a human being. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. You and and I, are we're built for eternity. We We were in the mind of eternity, and we're built for eternity. Meaning this, if you live your life only hoping that Jesus will help you raise your kids, get you through this sort of work situation, get you a promotion, give you some sense of peace, get a refund from the IRS, Like if we're not careful, that's what we reduce following Jesus to. I mean, listen, there is an inheritance that's coming for us, and that inheritance is internal. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the promise given to us that we might be reminded that eternity is still out there for us, friends. And we need to get in the habit of thinking about forever. Forever. Because if we don't, the struggle and the pain and the weight of what we endure right now will begin us to ask, begin making us ask the questions: Is it actually even worth it, friends? It's worth it for now, but can I tell you, it's worth it for eternity. And we'll be with him. We'll be with him. This isn't an escapist theology. This is, no, he has saved us from and for. He saved us for a purpose now, but he's also saved us from an eternity of separation. With him, there is an inheritance to come. The third thing I want you to grab hold of, and this is where we'll land, that we think about the beginning, that's our calling. We think about the inheritance to come, that's the end, but there's also something to think about, and that's the power in between. The resurrection, what Paul is saying over and over again, the resurrection of Jesus is the power in which you and I live from and live in. The Jesus Christ resurrection from the dead, death, friends, we know, is a bitter and restless enemy. And all of us, all of us are going to experience it. Praise God. Have a lovely day. Um, We're all going to. You know, what I always found humorous kind of growing up sort of in church and you read different Bible stories. There's the stories of Lazarus. You guys know Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, passes away. Jesus shows up seemingly late. Like, let's not give Jesus a pass here. He shows up a little bit late. But he's Jesus, and so he's not really nervous about late. And he has Lazarus. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Lazarus was dead, dead. And he, and he comes out and he says, hey, take off the grave clothes. And Lazarus goes about his life. Now, here's my my warped sense of, like, church humor when you grow up in church. This is what happens to you. You know, I I realized, Lazarus died again. (laughs) Guys, can I just say that it sucks to die, but it sucks to die twice, like, really bad? Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church, but we did. And Nicole will correct me later on if we're out of bounds. He died again. Friends, all of us will... Faith, death. The Bible says that death is it's inevitable. And then the judgment. But listen, the the work of God shown through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is power for us to overcome. Why? Because God has done what man cannot do. He beat death. He beat death. Jesus is then now, he's enthroned over evil. And you see over and over the, the line, all things, all things, all things, not some stuff. Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. And Jesus is the headship of the church. And the way in which the passage lands, I, I love the phrase that Jesus is, is all in all. The church is full. Because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is filling the church with himself. That's where you and I come in. So listen to me. If you're going through some stuff in your life right now, maybe relationally, maybe work, maybe it's just some stuff in your own inner life. Now listen, I've had seasons in my life where, man, the problem, the problem wasn't anywhere else but in the mirror. You get frustrated in you Listen, hear me on this. If the God that we serve can overcome death, there isn't anything going on in your life and in my life that he does not have the authority over. I was sharing this right before service with a friend. This uh, this phrase has been in my spirit for a while. It's easy for him. It's easy for him. The thing that, that you and I struggle with, it's easy for him. It's easy for him. Now, if we're not careful, we'll hear phrases like that, and then we want to bend it into ways in which we can control God. God, it's easy for you. to Do whatever I want. I know you wouldn't do that, but sometimes I do. That's not to say that God's going to do everything for us that we want to. It is to, to be reminded that the God that we serve doesn't even break a sweat over the things that are insurmountable by us. The other thing for us to get our minds around is that Jesus is seated high and he's enthroned above it all. He rules and he reigns and he is Lord and yet he desires that we would come to know him and participate and be part of this. With him. So, church, what do we do with this? Paul's just getting started in this letter. And look at all that he's unpacking to this church and to us already. If you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon was simply Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. Can't lose. He wants our eyes to be clear, our vision not disrupted with what is around us or what is in us. And he wants our hearts to be filled with the grace, with the mercy of God, yes. But also with the power of the resurrection. Because friends, in that, we cannot lose. He's undefeated. Would you bow your heads and your hearts for prayer with me? Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want to give an opportunity. We, we do this most weeks. I just want to give an opportunity if you're here and you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Surrendering your life to Jesus means this, that you are confessing him Lord and Savior of your life. It means that you are also confessing your need for a Savior. I found that for many people that's the difficult part. Saying who God is is easy, but acknowledging themselves that they're not enough. They can't do it on their own. For many of us, that seems to be the hiccup. So surrendering your life to Jesus is confessing him as Lord. It's confessing that we, you and I, that we are sinners in need of saving. And thirdly, it is confessing that he is the Christ. Crucified, died buried, and then raised to life. And because he lives, you and I can live also. If that, you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just say, Charlie, this is my moment. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Maybe you did this in a season of your life, but you know that you have maybe drifted. But today you want to make that declaration sure. Maybe you've been living with ellipses, but now you want to live with the period at the end of that statement. Amen. I see that hand. Is there anybody else on the count of three? I'm asking you just to lift your hand. One, two, three. Are you here? Amen. 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 Praise God. All across this room, would you stand to your feet? I'm just going to ask you as a church, as a congregation, would you repeat this prayer? after me, let's be clear, there's nothing magic or hidden in my language, my words. Just want to give you something to wrap your life around. We're confessing Jesus as Lord. We would say, Lord Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sin to give me life and life to the full. I believe, I receive and declare you as Lord and no other. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Church, why don't we give God praise? Come on. For what God's doing in the life of his people. Uh, So may you leave here today and may the eyes of your heart be open that you might see all of the goodness of God at work in your life. But may you also see The places in which he desires to renew and restore you afresh. Go in that knowledge and in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you so much, church. We'll see you next week.